Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Rachel Gilson, who has authored the book Born this or Born Again This Way, Coming Out, Coming to Faith, and What Comes Next. And the reason why I'm so excited to talk about, uh, to talk with Rachel today is because we're going to talk about, uh, you know, her living with uh, her same-sex attraction. And I always love talking with people about this and learning from them and from their experience. One, because it's not an experience that I um, that I have. And so it, it gives me the opportunity to learn from people in that who, who, are, who are going through that. And, you know, for me growing up, I mean, especially in, in just the, the wider church, uh, this is something that really isn't talked about a whole lot. And so it really hits at you know, one of the core things that we really want to do here on the Learner's Corner podcast, and that's create a safe place to have difficult conversations and conversations to where we may not necessarily agree on everything. You know, you may listen and not even just this episode, just uh, episodes in general, and you may not agree with everything and that's okay. The point is, is that we don't want our disagreements to get in the way of, um, um, for many of us, our closest relationships in that and realizing that we can still disagree and still be in relationship with each other. And the second one is that, you know, or the, this kind of the second big belief here is that we really believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone and from anything and from everything, regardless of whether or not we agree with someone 100% on something. And so just as we enter into this conversation, I would just ask um, for you to remember those two things that you don't have to agree with them completely. And I would ask you um, to consider, um, are you someone who is safe for people to have difficult conversations with you? And, and that's something that I think about all the time of whether, what am I doing intention, intentionally to, to be a safe person? Or what am I doing um, unintentionally to communicate that I am not a safe person in that? So... Uh, yeah. And so if you, I would love to hear, uh, your takeaways from this episode, just as we finish up or not finish up. Um, but just as you finish listening to this episode and the best way to reach out to me is learners corner podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the things that you've learned either from this episode or from other episodes of the podcast, or just even things that you would love us, um, to cover on the podcast, different subjects or guests, or if you have something that you're really excited about that you're learning from, I would love to hear or know about that as well. And so let me tell you a little bit about Rachel today, who is going to be uh, the guest and who I am talking with. Rachel serves on the leadership team of Theological Development and Crew or Culture with Crew. And she is a writer and speaker who lives in the Boston area. Now, I don't normally do this next part on the podcast, but for this, I, I want to read kind of what is on the back cover of the book to kind of set up the conversation with Rachel before we get into it, just because it's such important, important conversation. And as much as I can, I just want to add the con the context for it, um, just because I know that it is an incredibly important conversation. And so here's what it says. This book is a rich portrayal of living faithfully and happily as a Christian with same-sex attraction that paints a compelling picture of discipleship for every believer in this powerful and personal book. Rachel describes her own unexpected journey of coming out and coming to faith and what came next. 
As she does so, she addresses many of the questions that Christians living with same-sex attraction are wrestling with. Am I co-signed uh, co to a life of loneliness? How do I navigate my friendships? Will my desires ever change? Is there some greater purpose in all this? And drawing on insights from the Bible and the experiences of others, Born Again This Way provides assurance and encouragement for Christians with same-sex attraction and paints a compelling picture of discipleship for every believer. And whatever your sexuality, this book is an inspiring testimony of how a life submitted to Jesus will be fulfilling and fruitful, but not always in the way that we might expect. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Rachel Gilson. Rachel, I'm so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, um, you know, we're going to talk about uh, your book, which came out uh, a little bit ago called Born Again This Way. But just as I was just preparing for our conversation, one of the things that I saw is uh, in your work at Crew, you are on the leadership team of the Theological Development uh, and Culture. And I was just curious, what it, <laughs> like I saw the title, I was like, man, I'm really intrigued by this. What, did, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, it sounds fancy, right? <laughs> I don't think it's as fancy as it sounds. It means a um, bunch of crew folk who are nerds get together and think about how to theologically form our staff. We have great staff who want to win, build, and send disciples for Jesus, and we want to make sure they're theologically equipped. Right now, for me, that means getting my PhD. Um, so a lot of my work is frankly just writing papers and doing and stuff like that, but I also help we run some seminary level courses for our staff uh, all throughout the year, that kind of stuff. So it's really fun. I love being on my team. Yeah. What do you get in your PhD in? So I'm doing a PhD in public theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I'm probably going to do a thesis somewhere around gender and sexuality, more on transgender identities than where I've written before. Um, I've really loved my time at Southeastern. It's been really great. Yeah. And what are like what are some of the things that you and your team at Crew are talking about? Or what are the, what are some of maybe the areas to where um, you guys are thinking about? Like, hey, we we need to maybe focus on this area for you know formation and for training and stuff for staff. Well, one of the main things we want to make sure our staff are equipped in is being able to read and teach the Bible well. Like our foundational classes are how do we do thoughtful spirit-controlled interpretation of the scriptures. And, and, you know, I I went to seminary, my teammates went to seminary, so we learned a lot of these skills using Greek and Hebrew, but most of our staff aren't going to go to seminary, and that's great. So we've tried to translate a lot of the best practices into people who are using just English translations. And frankly, our English translations are so good that that's not a problem at all. So that's a big part of it. And then we also care a lot about equipping our staff in cross-cultural engagement. Because whether our staff go overseas, because we've got a ton of staff who go overseas in summer trips, longer sometimes, or whether it's even crossing cultures within the United States, uh, we're missionaries, right? So we have to think about what does it mean to not lose the gospel in the context of contextualization, um, to be clear and helpful and, well, the least offensive you can possibly be. The gospel itself is offensive, but we don't want to add extra 
offense to it. So those are some of our main concerns. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to, you know, what you were talking about of, um, of helping people read and interpret through the Bible. What are some of the, like, what are one or two practices that you're maybe teaching or helping people? Because like, that's something that I'm always looking to get better at. And I know that, you know, some of the listeners are too. Well, so some of it might be elementary for some people, but it's really helpful as we navigate through different spots in the scriptures to remember that they were written in different genres. Like we read an email differently than we read Jane Austen differently than we read like the instructions on a new gadget that we bought. Um, But sometimes with Bible reading for a variety of reasons, we can kind of treat each sentence as if it's doing the same type of load bearing. We really need to know where the heck is this coming from? Cause that's going to help us figure out what to do with the language. And then of course, reading our sentences, our words, our paragraphs in the context that they're found in. Um, so we just, we want to help people stay anchored to what the author originally meant. That's really hard to get to. We all have our own cultural blinders on, you know, this, it's, there's this really funny study we put in front of our staff. I forget even who did it, but it's like, um, when you present the story of the prodigal son to Western readers, and then you ask them, why did the son go home? The Western readers say, well, because he ran out of money. And when you present it to majority world folks and you ask them, why did the son go home? They say, well, there was a famine in the land. And both of them are true and they're related to each other, but it just highlights that we, we automatically notice different things about the text. We ask different questions of the text based on our starting points. And so we try to figure out um, how can we understand ourselves better as we come to scripture? How can we make sure the best ability possible we're not reading in our own priorities into the text? And then applying well what we learn from any particular passage mm-hmm. to our current contexts. Yeah. It's really hard to do, frankly. Oh, yeah, yeah well, you're, you're trying to get into somebody's mind from, you yeah. know, depending on when it was written, uh, a couple of thousand or a few thousand years A long years time ago, ago yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I want to go back to the the cross cultural stuff that you were mentioning too. I would just love what what's some of the things that you've learned through that, or even just that you guys are talking about in in navigating cross cultural relationships. Yeah, this is really important, and it relates, frankly, when we're reading the Bible while we're crossing cultures. So a lot of those same principles, we have to know ourselves. Uh, I need to know how being a well educated middle-class white lady impacts the way that I move through the world, my values, my assumptions, those types of things. And um, trying to help us see that other cultures, well, let me put it this way. Every single culture is made up of people who are made in the image of God. So that means parts of the culture are going to be really beautiful and good and reflect him. Every single culture is made up of sinners so there are going to be parts of every single culture that do not line up with what the Lord wants from us. So we want to be able to experience our own culture and experience other cultures um, with a appropriately critical mindset, not critical in the sense of condemnatory, but just mm-hmm. thoughtful to try to evaluate cultural practices in light of what God has called good. Because sometimes you can have, it can just be easy to not very thoughtfully experience another culture and call everything all good or everything all bad or experience your own culture that way. 
it doesn't really help you cross bridges very well. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, kind of moving on to the, the thing that, um, or just, just, I guess your story is, you know, you've written this book, uh, Born Again This Way. And I would just love to hear um, from people who maybe aren't familiar with this story and obviously don't want to, you know, give away the whole story and the whole book and everything. Um, I wouldn't be able to give away the whole book and yeah, a podcast. Yeah, episode. that yeah that that would be quite a lot of time, and we don't have that much time. Um, but uh, would you mind just kind of telling your background and kind of what what informed you know your your writing of Born Again this way and just your your background to coming to Christ and everything? Yeah, well, because Born Again this way, it's my contribution. I want to help disciples who experience same-sex attraction thrive in Jesus. And I want to help others to consider these topics well. Actually, some of the most encouraging emails I've gotten are from like older straight white guys who are like, wow, this really helped me even in my own understanding of like how to be more faithful in my sexuality. Like, it's great. It wasn't written for that, but clearly, (laughs) um, clearly it works. And, you know, um, I came to this, uh, information at a high cost because I, um, because I came to Christ at 18 mm-hmm. and then started to follow him uh, after I'd already been in romantic and sexual relationships with other women. I just made a lot of uh, mistakes. It was like an open dumpster fire sometimes when I think about my early discipleship. Well, and to give a little more of my actual background, um, I grew up in a non-Christian home in California. I knew Christians, but my family, we just didn't do anything like that. So when I started thinking about what's true in the world, I didn't find the answers of Christianity particularly helpful. Eventually, I even had a worse opinion. I sort of thought people of faith were pretty stupid. I also realized in high school, I wasn't really attracted to men. I was actually attracted to women. And so I started having romantic and sexual relationships with other young women. And this was, this was 2001, two, three, right? So it's kind of at a, a hinge. We've changed a lot as a culture since then. But I knew the future was with me. You know, you could kind of, you could kind of tell. Massachusetts hadn't legalized same-sex marriage yet, but I was hopeful. And so I went off to college with a view that Christians were not only stupid, but bigots, even though I'd never been mistreated by a Christian. Like I just kind of knew from the air that my sexuality wasn't acceptable. And I was really excited because I got into Yale, which is in my opinion, the best school in the world. (laughs) Not that I've been to all of them, but I loved my time there. But my freshman year was a little bit of a rocky landing. On the one hand, I thought of myself as incredibly academically gifted and I showed up at this school with some of the best students in the world and just destroyed me. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, I'm not even close to the smartest person here. Uh, So that was a big hit to my self-esteem. And then I also went through a pretty rough breakup my freshman year with this girl that I was obsessed with. And so I was kind of having an identity crisis and I was cold for the first time because I was suddenly in New England, which isn't perpetually October, but actually experiences some pretty gross weather (laughs) events. And I was kind of in that morass. I was like, oh, what should I do with myself? I never thought, oh, I should turn to Jesus. You know, I didn't believe in Jesus. 
but I was taking a philosophy class that semester, like a tour through Western philosophy or whatever. One of our first lessons back, we had a lecture on Rene Descartes, the old dead French guy who invented, I think, therefore I am. And the lecturer was explaining to us how Descartes builds this whole proof of God's existence from that phrase. I remember sitting in the audience thinking, well, that's a really stupid proof of the existence of God. Um, at that time, like sitting there, I was also like, well, what if there are other really good proofs that I don't know? Which is kind of a destabilizing question for me. I didn't particularly like it, but I also couldn't really shake it off too easily. Um, so I'm in elder millennial. So as my tribe does, I just decided I was going to Google it. You know what I mean? So I, uh, you know, would punch into my laptop all these random religious search terms and follow the hyperlink trails until I was reading about different stuff. And I kept writing about Jesus and he was just so much more interesting than I had assumed he was. You know, I, I kind of thought of him as an ancient George W. Bush wrapped in a toga or something, but he was actually much more than that. But I also at the same time felt like this barrier with my sexuality, even in being interested in Jesus as a character, it wasn't like I wanted to become a Christian. The only two people I knew at Yale who identified as Christians were these uh, two women who were dating each other. And one of them was trained to be a Lutheran minister. So I thought, okay, well, maybe they know something I don't, you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, can, I, can I ask you something real quick? What was, yeah. what was so, I'm just curious to like get into your mindset. What was so interesting about Jesus to you at that time? Well, you know, I think part of it is that I had just been exposed to caricatures. Mm. I really liked the stories where people would come up and clearly be trying to trick him and he would just shut them down. I thought that was like delightful. Oh yeah. Um, But he clearly wasn't just a sassy character. There were also stories where he clearly was displaying a lot of tenderness towards people. And so he was a complex character. And I think that that both surprised me and intrigued me because it was different than what I had thought. Now I've spent so many years reading the Bible and in so many more ways have a deeper love for Jesus. And I'm like, gosh, really, like, what was my mindset 18 years ago? But I know that those things stood out to me. Yeah. And so then back to your story, you know, you're, you find out about these two women who are in a, you know, who are together. What happened then? Well, so I went to them and they were asking about my interest and I was like yeah so how do these things hold together in your mind because they seem opposite to me you're like oh it's been open a big misunderstanding like the bible actually supports monogamous gay relationships like oh so they gave me this packet explaining the correct way to interpret these verses I was pretty excited about it and so I took it I was reading it I was also comparing it to bible verses that I had like up on my computer because I didn't own a bible and then eventually it was like, oh my goodness, I don't think these verses actually should be interpreted the way they think, which made me feel a little disappointed, frankly. I was mm-hmm. like, I was bummed, but it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, why would an ancient book have anything helpful to say here? Uh, but a little while after that, I happened to be in the room of a friend of mine who was a non-practicing Catholic. And she, um, one day I was in her room and she happened to be getting something from inside her room, like putting stuff in a bag or whatever. And I was standing in her doorway. She had a bookshelf right next to her doorway. And I love looking at people's bookshelves and judging them. 
And so uh, I was checking out her titles and she had a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And so, you know, I hadn't been raised on Narnia, but the title itself kind of tipped me off as something that would be worth reading. But I was also too embarrassed to ask my friend for it because I didn't, I didn't want people to know that I was even interested in Christianity. Like that's how much of a prejudice against it I had. So I decided to just steal the book. You know, I put it in my bag really quickly. It's not that big. It's not that hard to do if someone's not watching. Also, if you have no moral compass. So while I was reading this book, shortly after that, I was explaining this to a friend of mine the other day who doesn't believe in God. And he just like, he's like, what, what happened? I'm like, it's hard to explain because I was in the middle of reading this book and it wasn't like a particular sentence or something, but I was suddenly overwhelmed with understanding that God existed and not like a, you know, like a Greek or Roman God or something, but like the God who made me and who was perfect and to whom I was going to owe an account. Like I just knew it just clicked. The thing I felt when it clicked was fear because I was totally arrogant and unkind and I cheated and I lied and I was reading a stolen book and I was sexually immoral. And it's like all the things really pushed me into the guilty category. But I also understood pretty quickly with that, that part of the reason Jesus had come was to put a barrier between God's wrath and me. He would absorb that. And so that the way to be safe was to run towards him and not away from him. One of the first things I was thinking was, well, I don't want to become a Christian because Christians are really lame. <laughs> but I also was like, sort of quickly like, well, you can't pretend this isn't true just because it's inconvenient for your life. You know, I mean, that's pretty stupid. So I kind of closed my eyes and was like, okay, fine. I'll become a Christian. And then I went to class. You know, thankfully, I saw a little advertisement for a, a student Christian group on campus. I basically crashed their Valentine's party and then followed them around like a baby quail for the next you know, several months, just learning all the things you need to know. And mm-hmm. that community was so helpful for me. I mean, all four years, mm-hmm. but especially, especially at the beginning. And it was... You know, it's been 18 years since that time. I still experience same-sex attraction, but the ways that the Lord has met me, given me the grace to um, thrive in my profession of faith, that was something I wanted to share with other people, especially disciples who've grown up in the church who experience same-sex attraction and have often felt like they just can't tell anybody like it hasn't been safe i mean that wasn't my experience but i really want i want the church to be the best place to navigate sexuality and faith as opposed to as opposed to a more complicated place yeah uh can you can you talk about just what you were saying like your your same-sex attraction has not gone away and i think that is a um I think that could sometimes be a very common, you know, misbelief is that, you know, hey, you're going to turn your life over to, and not, not even just for same-sex attraction, for literally like any for type whatever, of sin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know what, God is going to fix my life. It's going to be okay. All of that stuff. Um, and yet that is not reality. And right. so can you just talk about like living with that, the tension of, you know, 
yeah, you're, you know, you're following Jesus and, you know, loving God. And yet like the same sex attraction has not left and you still have to live with that. Right. Well, and I think what can be part of the reason people end up so confused here is because the church for a long time taught that the natural consequence of believing in Christ is that you will only experience opposite sex attraction. Well, one of the first questions I have for that is, where do we see that scripturally? And two, have you ever met any straight people? Like straight people still experience sexual desire in ways that are really unhealthy and unhelpful. Everybody experiences and expresses their sexuality in ways that are fallen. So it's not like becoming straight would really fix much of anything at all. It feels sort of like beside the point. And no, mm-hmm. I do think that my capacity to be romantically and sexually attracted to other women is a result of the fall. However, I also understand that I'm only going to be finally saved from the results of the fall when God wraps up everything in the new creation. In the meantime, we all have to deal with temptation, both the temptations that come internally and temptations that come externally. So it's, it's actually the fundamental Christian life to wrestle in the tension with the fact that we have been saved from the power of sin has no power over us anymore in Christ, (laughs) only the power we still give it, Uh, but we have not been saved from the presence of sin. So I think sometimes Christians just need to be permissioned to understand that the life of a same-sex attracted person isn't fundamentally alien from their own life. Mm. In many ways, there's a lot of parallels. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk more about, you know, you were saying that, um, you know, obviously not not every church has done this, but a lot a lot of churches have you know um, have said what what you were saying in there of like, hey, you know what if you if you go to God, you know your your same sex attraction and you know said will be you know cured for uh, for lack of a better word. Um, what are some other things that you would say? Hey, it it might be helpful to rethink. You know, if you're a church or if you're you know a follower of Jesus, your approach or maybe even like your theology, um, that you Gosh, see that people yeah. tend to get tripped up on. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things on some level. So one (laughs) of the things that has sometimes happened and still happens is usually through a a strange interpretation of Romans 1, people will teach or be taught that people are only same-sex attracted because they hate God. Mm -hmm. Like first comes a rejection of God and then comes um, identifying as gay or whatever. And there's sometimes been a lot of tension and fighting over why people experience same-sex attraction. And that will get a lot of attention from Christians and churches. I think this is happening less and less, but it's still something that's pretty popular. And so one of the things that I think could be helpful is recognizing that we don't, there are some people who think they know why they experience same-sex attraction. And also for most of us, it feels as like normal and recurring as anything else. You know, most people don't wake up and decide to become straight, for example. You just start to realize you have a capacity to be attracted to people of the opposite sex. I think it's helpful to recognize that it kind of doesn't matter where it comes from. Well, we understand that it's fallen, fine. But at the end of the day, rarely does knowing why it happens actually help me 
to say no to my desires so that I can say yes to Jesus. And so I don't think it's a very helpful place to spend most of our time. Another place that I think is really helpful for us is to consider not just primarily what the Bible says no to, but to recognize that God created sexuality as a gift. It's not like a mean trick he's played on us. In in the best of ways, it can actually point to the gospel and point to the goodness of Christ. And so if we're able to actually articulate a positive biblical ethic, it can be really helpful for us in not feeling excessive shame or not trying to hide, but instead to process um, our thoughts and our questions and our feelings in more healthy ways, which does not mean ever permissioning sin. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes people can feel like if we talk about it more, we're going to permission sin. And that's certainly not. Holiness is a very big deal. But we can't get to holiness if we're hiding the things that we're experiencing. We actually need each other's help. God's given us his spirit and his word and his people, and we actually need all three to thrive. Yeah. To talk about um, maybe some more healthy ways that um, not even, you know, maybe maybe just the both both the church at like, you know, maybe, maybe a corporate level or as like a group of people. And then even on the individual level for the person who's listening, um, can better respond in, in a healthy way to, um, to men and women who are dealing with same-sex attraction. I think one of the things that's helpful is trying to, how do I put this? Sometimes people don't want to have the conversation because they're so afraid they're going to say something wrong or offensive. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it, we want to be able to strike a balance where we're able to talk about this topic or sexuality in general in healthy, appropriate ways in our different settings, um, but also not talk about it all the time. So on the one hand, if you want to support a disciple in your life who experiences same-sex attraction, one of your brothers or sisters, it can be really good to just ask them what their experience of that is like and what kind of support would be helpful. And sometimes we even use phrases like, um, this person is struggling with same-sex attraction. Well, like some people are struggling. I would say in my first five years, I was struggling. Right now I'm more struggling with my daughter's bad attitude. You know what I mean? Like that's more of a like cause of sin in my life is not responding to her in a way that dishonors the Lord and dishonors her. Um, whereas same-sex attraction is more just, I don't know, a thing that I experience every once in a while. Um, I think sometimes when you're middle-aged and a parent, you're like, I, I'm too tired to be attracted to anyone. So I don't know what's like. <laughs> so we just like, we have, to, we have to actually talk to the people in our lives. Like, what kind of support do you need? Not assuming that your same-sex attracted brother or sister is in the thick of it, but not assuming that they're not. Right. And so um, trying to permission yourself to not think of it as some like crazy weird thing. Uh, This is something that humans have experienced for, I don't know, as long as we've existed, probably. I mean, even Paul says to the Corinthians, some of you were in this scenario. Now here you are in the church in Corinth. Right. So it's this isn't a new thing. Even if you read church history. You know, there's penance practices for these things in the early church and. I don't know. We didn't make like the hugest stink about it. We were just like, hey, this is simple. Don't do it. 
We'll help you. <laughs> we'll help you. You know, just like just like people who have premarital sex, straight folks. We say, hey, <laughs> can't can't be doing that. Let's help you. Let's give you grace and truth over time. Yeah, one one of the things just as I was uh I was reading some of the articles and even just uh going through the book as well that really stood out to me that that um that made me think about it in a way that I hadn't really thought about before is you know you kind of frame it as uh you know there's the thing that I think most people think about is that you know if you experience same sex attraction you can you just say hey I'm going to do whatever I I want to do I'm just going to give in to you know my desires or my sure. attraction and then you frame it on the other end is that yeah and then on the other end you can you can repress it and you can avoid it um and but that's not necessarily a healthy thing to do either. Can you talk to that tension and navigating like the third way in the middle of that? Yeah, it's always hard to talk about third ways because you're yeah. sort of like, I don't know, is there really a third way? <laughs> yeah, anyway, but, in yeah, any, in any case, repression, repression yeah. is, re- sometimes we try to white knuckle ourselves out of it or like, uh, you know, if I just, I just try really hard or never mention it, it'll, it'll go away and just shove it out of my mind or something. But Usually when we repress something, that energy just ends up going somewhere else. Or it's sort of like um, folks have a hard time with diets. It's sort of like we restrict your food for so long. Humans only have so much willpower. You know what I mean? So it's like we use our willpower all up and then we we shouldn't be surprised when it's like, well, now I'm eating all the stuff I was trying not to eat because... I wasn't, I wasn't having a healthy practice of trying to figure out my food. I gotta be careful there because I'm not actually a dietitian or anything like that, but we just, we, we, we believe in our culture that education and self-control are the fix for everything, right? Like if I just know the right thing and then sort of exercise self-control in some sort of like, I don't know, mystical, magical way, then my life would be better. But like every single one of us knows we should exercise and eat better. And like, no one does or the, like two friends you do yeah. are like insufferable about it you know what i mean so it's sort of like we don't so when we try to bring that attitude to sexuality we're like okay so i know it's wrong and i'm just gonna stick my head in the sand or i'm not going to tell anybody and that way or i won't even acknowledge it to myself or you know there's just we try to repress where it's shoved down 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 the thing is that doesn't really help us ever we First of all, I need accountability. Not everybody needs to know my business, but there needs to be some Christians in my life who have permission to ask me hard things or who I can text real quick or call real quick and be like, man, there's this scenario. Just pray for me or whatever. I mean, I found at this point, even if I just acknowledge something quickly to a friend, that's enough to like declaw it and not because now someone knows. And so Mm -hmm. if I pursue it too far, and that's why God gave us his family. We need each other. And so repression rarely helps us access community or the spirit, or even frankly, the word in helpful ways, because we can end up reading the word. You know, when you read the Bible and you're like, oh, this would be great for someone else. Yeah. Or like, you know what I mean? Or you like, you read about the rich young ruler. And instead of thinking about the fact that you're an American addicted to wealth, you think about like something else. You know what I mean? We just <laughs> like, we love to read the scriptures in ways that avoid our stuff and repression is just another means of avoidance instead we should say here's an experience of sexuality I have that i know is broken how can i understand what sexuality really is so even the ways that i fall short 
I can invite the Lord into it and say like, yeah, I know this part is fallen. At the same time, I know that sexuality is a gift. I know that even my experience of sexual desire is a reflection of how much you desire me. The times when it feels overpowering or overwhelming, like that's how much you long to be with your people. That's how much I should long to be with you. And so please help me find ways to channel that desire into more healthful forms of intimacy. I have one thing, one other thing that I want to ask you, but before that, um, is there anything that we just haven't talked about, you know, about anything that we've talked about that comes to mind and it's like, hey, I want to make sure that um, I just give you the opportunity to talk about that thing? Oh, I don't know. Um, I always, I always tend to follow um, my hosts because they tend to know what their (laughs) listeners need. But I do think that it's important for same-sex attracted disciples to understand that if they're hidden in Christ, like God's face towards them is fully love. You know, he's not disappointed in us, like waiting for some future version of us that then he'll love. He loves us now and he's eager to help us and support us, right? So we're not, we're not in a trial room. We're not in a waiting room in the lobby, sort of like waiting for our names to call. We've already been called into the family. That's a good and safe place to be. Yeah. Well, the last thing I want to ask you is, what have you learned about God through your same-sex attraction? Well, I think probably one of the main things I learned about him, well, it's interesting. I learned it, how would I phrase this? The opportunity of my same-sex attraction was what allowed me to press into Christ's trustworthiness. Hmm. So, is it the thing that taught me that Christ is trustworthy? Now, I wouldn't say it necessarily like that, but it was the road that I walked towards examining that more fully. And that's partly because I had a really secure understanding that the Bible said no to same-sex sexual activity and relationships, but I didn't understand why. You know, it just felt arbitrary and cruel. And over time, the Lord was really helping me saying like, hey, I'm not arbitrary and cruel. You know that. You know that I'm for you because you've seen Christ. Jesus didn't have to leave the blessedness of Trinitarian life. Not that he fully left. You know what I mean? The Son of God took on human nature, but he didn't have to do that exercise. I he could have just as justly condemned me in my sin. He didn't owe me anything. But he decided to take on flesh and live a really difficult life and die a very painful death because he's for us. And so I got pressed into that again and again and again and saying, like, I I know that I can trust you. And so I can only say this no to my attractions because I'm saying yes to him because you've proven yourself trustworthy, right? Like if a if a stranger or a weirdo comes up on the street and asks you to do something wild, you're just going to ignore them. You'll be like, no, get out of here. But if someone you have a deep relationship with, maybe if you've got a, a parent you're deeply close to or a best friend you've known for years, like someone you would trust your life with. And if they come to you and they say, hey, I can't explain why I'm right now, but I need you to do this thing. And it sounds kind of crazy, but you know them. You know that they love you. 
well, you're at least going to entertain it. You're at least going to be like, okay, I mean, I don't get this, but I know you. So that's one of the main things that helped me with to be like, Lord, I don't get this, but I see you and you're good. Now, I think I've grown in my understanding of why, which is in my book. But if we don't start on, is he good? And I don't think we can make it very far, even if we have all the reasons in the world. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I know that people are going to want to pick up your book, Born Again, this way and continue to learn from you. Where's the best place for people to go to do all of those things? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, um, I read it, so I know they can get it on Audible. <laughs> they like that version. Um, and it's, you know, it's pretty much anywhere. It's Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, independent places, if you like that better to avoid the Borg. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And just yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Thanks for sharing your story. And thanks for, for doing the work and putting it into a book form to share your story. Also. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I think coming out of that conversation with Rachel, I think my biggest takeaway or, or one of the, the takeaways that really um, formed and has shaped my thinking is just what I asked her about on, on one side of the, uh, um, of the spectrum is, you know, we just allow whatever, um, and just put up no resistance to whatever our, uh, desires are. And not even just for uh, same sex attraction as we were talking about, but literally for all of our desires. And then just realizing that there is another end of the spectrum as well, which, you know, which at least I, I, I didn't think like I, if I, if I would have, uh, you know, thought about it or something, um, or if I had given enough time, or if somebody had said they wouldn't have surprised me, but it's just something that I hadn't really spent a whole lot of time thinking about. And especially uh, sometimes I feel like the the buckle down, the the avoidance, the repression is sometimes the thing that is encouraged in um in in some areas of the church as well. And so that's one of the things that really stood out to me from it. I would love to hear. Um, from your perspective as well, and kind of what stood out to you from this conversation with Rachel, the best way to reach out to me is through the Learner's Corner podcast email address, which is just learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, you could let me know your thoughts on this episode, past episodes of the Learner's Corner podcast, stuff that you're really excited about that you're learning from or or anything like that or any type of feedback or guests that or subjects that you would love us to cover on the podcast as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of uh, the future conversations on this is by hitting follow or subscribe on whatever podcast player you use. And yeah, and I would really appreciate it if you left a rating and write a review on the podcast as well. That helps a ton also. And I think that's all that I have for today. And so I want to say a quick thanks to Garrett Oler for doing the editing on the podcast and Sam Massey for doing the music on this podcast. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. Oh, and a quick and a last thank you to Rachel again for being on the podcast as well. So my name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. <laughs>